I am Lemuel Gonzalez, Repentant Sinner, and along with Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's Painless Sunday School lesson, Without Works. Today we have an interesting program. We're reviewing a film. We are doing a crossover with our other show. Well, sort of. <laughs> we decided that since we had reviewed a lot of uh, material about creationism, it would only be appropriate to take a look at the 1960 film Inherit the Wind, which for many people, rightly or wrongly, frames this argument. Oh, really? Yeah. Much like people don't know that Usher is where they get the age of the earth, they don't know that mm -hmm. their arguments are based on a dramatization of a thing that happened in the 20s? <laughs> I, there are still people who will quote Inherit the Wind to me passages of uh, dialogue that Spencer Tracy's character, who is the stand-in for Clarence Darrow, says, as if they're these sort of like a, a kernels of wisdom that he passes down about liberal thinking and fighting the tide of ignorance, and they're not anything that he actually said. And that's not even the side that creationists were on. Right. He was it's, the anti-creationist. Well, but, <laughs> I don't know that that's the right word, but that's all right. Just to start with the film, it's uh, the film adaptation that we saw was an adaptation of the play from 1960, and uh, the play was written by Jerome Lawrence and Robert Edwin Lee. The film was directed by Stanley Kramer. He was famous for social message films. Gotcha. And, and this was a play written by a man named Robert E. Lee, you said? Robert Edwin Lee, yes. <laughs> Just checking. Go ahead. And it, it is set around the Scopes trial. Yes. And uh, what is the Scopes trial? Scopes trial was a trial in 1925 where a school teacher was... Well, he was accused of violating Tennessee's uh, Butler Act, which made it impossible or made it against the law to teach evolution in a publicly funded school. In a publicly funded school. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the original case was in a, like a community college. Okay. Wasn't I, it? Yeah. I believe he was a, it wasn't like a high school. Mm -hmm. This one is a high school, I believe. The actual case the teacher in question doesn't remember whether he even taught evolution or not. Right. He was just a good defendant to get... What they were going after, of course, is the Butler mm -hmm. Act. They're right. not... When a case like this is filed and, and uh, a precedent is uh, enacted to see whether a law is constitutional, Right. Uh, it's the same type of thing as something like loving... The loving case that de what's the word I want legalized miscegenation, which is mm -hmm. a term I don't love, but uh, marriage between races, uh, and the case uh, that passed before the Supreme Court very recently about uh, gay marriage, and it's all you want the right defendants to go in front of the higher and higher courts, and this scopes. What, I don't know what his actual... Was that his name? Right, that was his name. Um, <laughs> the Butler case came from a Tennessee farmer and head of the World Christian Fundamentals Association. And the Christian Fundamentals was something we referred to very early on when we yeah. talked about the book that had over 100 points that were supposed to be the points that no one could argue over. The Butler Act was passed on March 25th, 1925. Oh, geez. So they, uh, they went to trial right went to away. Trial right away. Butler had stated, I don't know anything about evolution. I'd read in the papers that boys and girls were coming home from school telling their fathers and mothers that the Bible was all nonsense. 
And wow, I'm sure that's exactly what was happening. Well, again, <laughs> that's what he heard was I, happening. No, I and know. It's based entirely on rumor at this point. He doesn't know what the subject of evolution is. He knew that it was discrediting the Bible. He knew that children were telling their elders something that he didn't personally believe. So immediately he needs to step in. Right. And it got some support from politicians who were looking to rope in these sort of rural voters. And then, of course, the um, was the argument on the teacher's behalf for freedom of speech or was it for division of church and state? Because I think both are applicable. It's we. If you don't know, that's fine. Well, just... it it uh, the ACLU had originally intended to oppose the Butler Act on the grounds that it violated the teachers' individual rights okay. and academic freedom, yeah. and was therefore unconstitutional. Um, Clarence Darrow was chosen as the lawyer in this case because of that, and he he's the lawyer for the ACLU and the teacher in this case, right? For the teacher, got you. So the li- quote unquote liberal side, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, but the earliest argument proposed by the defense, once the trial has begun, is that there was actually no conflict between evolution and creation in the Bible. Right. This is later what we call theistic evolution. This is one of the creationist viewpoints that we covered. Yeah, and there's so, a whole thing mm, in the movie that right. replicates this, but or that, that, that sort of goes along with that. In actual life, he was supporting a form of creationism, which makes it even funnier. Mm. Um uh, they now to, to start out though that's the actual case. Um, the fictional case is uh, as we see the film start. Uh, there's a small southern town, Hillsboro. There's a school teacher, Bertram Cates. He's going to stand trial for teaching Darwinism. We start. We open with what? What is it? It's like a constable and a, maybe the prosecutor uh-huh. and a priest. All preacher, go- yes, all coming down the center of town like gunfighters. Like gunfighters, I was like, yeah. are they going to draw at noon? What is going on? And, and they go into this teacher's uh-huh. classroom and just stand there and wait for him to, like, say the word Darwin. Right. And then it's a go, 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 go. And they arrest him in front of all of his class, which is tacky as heck. <laughs> right. And he's uh, arrested in front of his classroom. And... um the local townspeople who are all not to a person, but yeah. over the course of the film are portrayed as fairly ignorant and overzealous. They believe what they hear on Sunday and don't really want to think well, about things much further than the, that. The, the depiction that we're getting in the film is that they believe, basically they don't want to have any of their ideas questioned. And so they believe what they want to hear. And so it doesn't, you know, when... um the they're very excited because the a lawyer in this case it's Matthew Brady yeah and that's played by Frederick March in what looks like really uncomfortable makeup yeah this is not what he looks like at all but um he's coming in town he's a three time presidential candidate he's based on William Jennings Bryan right the very famous orator and he's coming to town to defend the state against this modern intrusion into the way that they live their lives right and he very much touts you're simple people with simple mm-hmm. beliefs, and this is heresy coming down right. the pike, and it's encroaching on traditional American values. Blah, right, and he blah, does say blah. some. There's a line in the film that I was hoping couldn't be attributed to William Jennings Bryan, which is his complaint that 
in reading The Origin of the Species that human beings are descended from old world monkeys, and he complains that they're not even American monkeys. I don't know if that was intended as a joke, but that was actually something Brian said. That sounds like somebody <clears throat> who ran for president three times in the early uh, 1900s right. would have maybe said, <laughs> I believe now, it. The film uh, depicts several forces in the town. First of all, it depicts Matthew Brady, the statesman, of course, and there's a attorney, Dom Davenport, who sits next to him. Yeah, um, and he's just really, being sort of outraged. He's he doesn't really do much his no. character in the film. He does a lot of this, <sighs> right? And uh, there's an influential newspaper man, E. Um, e. K. Hornbeck, who is played by Gene, Gene Kelly, Kelly of all people, who does not sing or dance not at even all. once. He still has those high waisted pants though, and he is. Very charismatic yes. on screen. It is pretty astounding to watch him. He never, even with these other amazing actors around him, mm -hmm. melts into a background. No, um, there's a uh, there's a very funny kind of, and we see it all the time. The the town is depicted as picketing and holding up signs. Satan yeah. has come to Hillsboro. And at least twice in the early part of the film, we see that directly above his head. Uh, as if to tell us, yeah, this is the troublemaker. Yes. Because uh, he's not there because he has a specific point of view. And his paper is the one who pays for the, the attorney defense, yeah. for the... Uh, instead of the ACLU paying for it, it's mm -hmm. his paper that's doing it. Uh, and the, uh, the other thing, I don't know if you're about to mention, is that the town wants this to go on as long as possible because they are making a ton of right. money. And right. that is also true of the real town in the Scopes yeah. trial. They wanted a spectacle so that people would come to their town and spend money. But there was a great deal, yes, this is all about commerce, really, yeah. to some people. Well, it's America, so I'm unsurprised. So Henry Drummond is the character played by... A very disheveled Spencer Tracy. Yes. Um, he, 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 he's he, also quite old at this right, point. Or at least he's at, he's made up to look old. Yeah, he, he looks like he could use a good steam cleaning in this film. And um, he's playing Henry Drummond, who is standing in for Clarence, Clarence Darrow. Darrow. And uh, the case goes on. He's representing Bertram Cates. And there's a whole subplot involving Bertram Cates. Bertram Cates is played by a Darren. Yes, he's played by Darren. <laughs> and he seems to be a very honest, good-natured person. He is engaged, maybe secretly. I'm not sure this was ever made clear. It's unclear. It is unclear. To the daughter of the town minister. Yes. Who's played by the very large and intimidating Claude Akins. That dude is massive. He's I was like, huge. And is I he him... as intimidating as he is just because he's like six inches taller than anyone else right. in this cast? I, I I grew up with him in the 70s when he was a just a very recognizable character actor. And between his six foot three and his really loud voice and his very solid frame, he, he just makes a presence. You can't ignore him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the minister and he, the town minister and he's very rigid in his ideas. Yes. And beyond rigid, he's fanatical. He's fanatical. And that is why in this story of the movie, because mm -hmm. it's a movie and we need to make drama and conflict and have reasons, not just we got to get a court to decide on whether this law is just. Uh, 
the our teacher has left the church because the minister damned a murder victim to hell? Is that? No, I believe he was a child who died from accidental drowning. I don't need to Okay. He died of accidental. But it was a child. Yes, who had not been properly who had baptized. Died. Or, right. Who, right. Uh, what, it was some, some small, as far as I'm concerned, small thing. And in the child's funeral, Mm-hmm. He condemned the child to hell, which I'm pretty sure condemns him to hell. I could be wrong, but you don't. It's, how it, would you? How I, dare I, you? There, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's really not much to say, but that's the reason why Bertram has left the church, right? And the reason why his fiance is standing somewhere in the middle, and he refuses to allow her to testify. He refuses to. The judge refuses to allow any expert testimony from scientific authorities, right? Including what I think would have been the most interesting scene in the film: uh, scientific authorities who had religious bent, one of whom was right. a deacon in a church. And, right. You know, it could and did that of, happen in the actual? Oh uh, yeah, there there was an attempt to represent that point of view. Did not get very far. No. Okay. Um, yeah, because the the thing was, I think the case, and I, I think you can see that in this film even. It's something that really can't be hidden, which is the case presented by the defense in an attempt to strike down this law was sort of chaotic. Um, yeah. It wasn't very focused as to exactly what they were trying to say. And so they're presenting several points of view, which is, well, there's no conflict. Why are we doing this? Oh, no. And then again, following that with, um, you know... Your law of, is stupid. Right, I exactly. think at one point is... I mean, which fundamentally that is... Right. That is their argument, but you you have to make that argument. That can't be it. Um, Clarence Darrow. I don't I don't know if he actually quits in the actual. Oh, in real case. life, he didn't. This was a dramatic. He he does have a huff, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm I, like in the middle of a court scene after the judge keeps saying you can't you can't have that expert. You can't have that expert. You can't have that expert. Right. You can't have that expert. He's like, forget it. Then I'm just gonna right. leave. Bye. He changes his mind. Right. So the, the experts that were actually called included Charles Francis Potter, a modernist minister who'd already engaged in a series of public debates with the fundamentalist minister. Um, John Roach Stanton, who had topics that he had addressed for um, Brian, William Jennings Bryan. Uh, Kurtley Mather, a chairman of geology department at Harvard, and he's brought up by name, and a devout Baptist. Mm-hmm. And they were, so he had religious experts prepared to stand on this side of it and going, there isn't a conflict here. I don't understand why yeah. we're introducing a conflict where none exists. The trial, the, the judge is constantly striking down yeah. uh, Darrow's, or Darrow, Drummond's ability to create a defense. And so in holding up wounded, so to speak, in his hotel room, he comes up with the notion of putting um, his, the, his opposition. Yep. On trial. The great orator William Jennings Bryant. Or... Believe it or not, that actually happened. <laughs> I believe that. Which him. is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard of, where a judge allows that. Um, well, the other thing is, and I don't know how true to the case it was, mm-hmm. but in this, and, and this is a, this was a play that was a courtroom drama, so mm-hmm. it that that aspect lends itself to this. These two both, but especially... The uh, the prosecution 
testify. Right. The, the attorneys are testifying. Yeah. They are monologuing. They are giving full-on speeches to the jury, to the the onlookers, to the judge. No witness present. Nothing. They just they're instead of an opening argument and a closing argument, they're just monologuing constantly, which mm-hmm. today would not be allowed in a right. court of law. I don't know about the 20s and how lax they were. Well, this court doesn't seem to be... It seems to be very... The choices that are made... The choices that are... Are really weird. The first motion is, please let us take off our jackets, Mm because it's like, what, 90-some degrees? Right, which are conditions that I'm trying to recreate now. Right now, yes, in in, in this room. Uh, yeah, so so they start, you know, they, they get down to shirt sleeves, which, you know, is... And then there's a really funny... I couldn't find whether or not that was true... Moment where uh, Spencer Tracy's character complains that uh, his opposition is referred to as Colonel in yes. court. Yes, they gave him a. a it's in a Tennessee Colonel, just like yeah. a Kentucky Colonel, like what Colonel Sanders is, the Kentucky <laughs> right. Fried Chicken dude. It's a. It's an honorific. It's not right. a real thing. I mean, it's real in as much as any title is a real thing, which is to say, not. <laughs> um, but yes, he's like stop giving, stop calling him Colonel because as soon as they he walked into town, they gave him this like a key to the city, right? Um, and they and and he's like he's going to be seen as a higher authority than I am, and so then they bestow Darrow, the right. Drummond's character, with a temporary Colonel <laughs> status during the imagine during this during the length of the trial. But, but it adds to the sort of atmosphere of general buffoonery. So they're called yeah, they're both of them are colonel now. Right. And it's just and like it's, for what? It's really very funny. Um it uh as the trial goes on, it just becomes ridiculous. There's there's more buffoonery in and outside of the court, more drama. Mm-hmm. The people who deal with Popsicle sales, right? Ice cream sales. Uh, there's a sort of even. Um, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble remembering the names of the fa- of the actual false characters. Uh, Daryl Bryant. Yeah, uh, Drummond. Oh, Drummond. Okay. The Drummond is uh, right, and Brady is is the um, is oh, the Bryant. Brady. So Brady, uh, who through the film weirdly is sort of mocked for his size. He's a big He's dude. He's continuously eating in the film to the point to where people are trying to beg him off of eating. My sense is because okay, in mm. are you about to say what happens? No, to no, him? You go ahead. Okay, so in the movie, he dies in the court at the conclusion of the case. Right after the conclusion of the case, in real life, he died like four days after the case concluded. After staying, he was still in the town, mm-hmm. and he was giving speeches, um, and he died in his sleep of, I mean, yeah, basically right. poor, poor health. Yes. Whatever that looks like in 1925, when you're a rich man eating literally a steak at every meal. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what we see him, just yeah. eating a steak at every meal. In the film, he's told we're told that he dies of a busted belly. Yes, and this is after he tries to make a grandstanding oration, and um, it doesn't go his way. Right, because, because of what ends up happening. Right. right. So, do you want to talk yeah, about he, what ha- what happens? 
um, both in real life and in the in the film, mm-hmm. uh, the teacher is found guilty because he right. did break this law. There, there's no question about that. In the actual in actual life, um, Clarence Darrow refused to give a closing summation because he wasn't allowed to put on a case. Well, he felt he was not allowed to put on a case, but there's also him being clever because he was not going to whether or not. William Jennings Bryant was right. He was a re- apparently a remarkable, a remarkable speech. Speaker, and so yeah. that he does not, yeah, he's like, like, I'm not going up against. I'm that. not going to do that, which was a very clever move on his part because it's like I'm not going to do that. He's playing to his audience yeah. on his terms, and he right. And this town is clearly against the teacher. Right. So everybody in the audience, minus the newspapermen, maybe right, is gonna is eating that stuff up. But it's literally the choir that he's preaching to. So it was not going to work. Uh, in his favor, so he didn't. Now, in the film, William Jennings Bryan, or his oration, as far as we can hear it, is just sort of a rant. Yes. Where he's listing books of the Bible, and he's now lost his marbles. He actually, you can find passages of his defense. Uh, Was it his actual closing, or what happened after the closing and after the judgment? Well, he had a closing that because he couldn't read it, he just distributed to people. Okay, oh, so he just, oh, because if Darrow didn't close, then that was was it. Right. He just moved to go straight to judgment. Interesting. Um, Yes, found guilty, and then... The sentencing happened pretty much right away, I believe. Right, right which was a thousand dollar fine on the stuff. Uh, it it was not a thousand. It's I think it's the equivalent of a thousand. I think it was like twenty dollars. Um, let me see. Can I? Oh, I'm it, sorry. A hundred dollar fine. A hundred dollar fine. A hundred dollars, which is fifteen hundred dollars in current dollars. Yeah. Um, but a hundred dollar fine and. That's it. And so Brady has this like apoplectic fit. Yes. And dies. Um in the in the movie he, he had a, a probably a four day fit in real life mm-hmm. and in the movie he has it right there. While everybody's filing out of they're like he's like, But I have things to say. Right. Um, how dare it be so small and this, that and the other and this doesn't you know, and but it's hot. And people are done listening to him. They've heard what he has to say. The case is concluded. So they're like filing out as he's trying to gather them together. And it's not working. This is a peculiarity of Tennessee law. Mm -hmm. When the defense waived his right to make a closing speech, the prosecution was barred from summing its case. Interesting. uh, Preventing Brian from making his summation, his eloquent summation. And the, the judge and Drummond are both like... You can say whatever you want now. We're not in, you know, right. you're, you're, you're a man in America. You get to say whatever you want. That's the rule. So, yeah, at the very end, uh, we're given the uh, Gene Kelly's Benkin character. Yes. Has a moment of being upset because uh, Drummond is very sad at the passing of a person he considered his friend. Right. He actually worked on his political campaign. That's the thing. Throughout the movie, we see these touches that, Drummond and Brian, uh, Brady, Brady, <laughs> Drummond and Brady were friends, had worked together in the past. Um, it's clear that uh, Brady's wife um, is very dear to Drummond and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. They are friends um, and friendly throughout the film. Uh, you know, when she comes down to the dining room at the hotel that they're both staying at and and. Uh, Brady is holding court with this group of men around him as he's 
putting food in his mouth and talking just that's all just talking and putting food in his mouth constantly you know drummond waves her over to the to his table you know sit with me he's holding court you know and then they talk about their past and their history and then there's, there's several scenes of them sitting on the porch of the hotel on rocking chairs with ice creams or various other cooling things right um and either idly chatting or discussing sort of the themes that they're there to discuss. But it's clear that they care about each other. Uh, yeah, the, he, what we get here is that m- the Mencken character is a muckraker, much like Mencken was in actual life. Yeah. This is not to say that he didn't have good causes that he championed. Right. That did not have a champion. However, it does mean that he had the same... He was a person of his time. He was a person of his time. He was also... As a newspaperman is wont to be, I believe, extraordinarily cynical. Yeah. Like a good journalist is a cynic, is going to get cynical. And the older you are, the more cynical you're going to get. And you might, you know, circle right back around. But that's a... When you're digging up dirt on people all day, every day, it's it's bound to get you down on humanity. You know what I mean? Right. Well, he was a person who it's very difficult to like him in actual life uh, or like the people he supported. You know, um, again, he really respected Ayn Rand's work. No, which thank is something you. that I cannot stand. He had a very She thinks sort of, I'm a terrible human being and I'm cool with it. Right. He, was, he admired Nietzsche, which is another one that's like a warning sign to me. I don't know anything about Nietzsche. I, I, it, well, it is. I have not. I don't know even right. what the basis of Nietzsche's philosophies were. But so. he, he was an elitist. He believed that uh, the Negro people needed to be cultivated to reach the level of the white man. He mm. believed that... Um, I, I, and again, it, it's... Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm trying a, to... F- a man of the 20s. I gotcha. Early, yeah. early, early 19... Late 18, early 1900s. Uh... The educated Negro of today is a failure not because he meets insuperable difficulties in life, but because he is a Negro. He is, in brief, a low-caste man to the manner born. He will remain inert and efficient until 50 generations of him have lived in civilization. That's an actual quote. So Well, it, that's it's vile. Right. And then he goes on to make other <laughs> statements, which I, don't, I think that tells you everything I'm, you like, know. physically nauseated. Thanks for that. But Thanks the point that. I'm trying to make is that not a good dude. <laughs> right. It's like his... But we, on the right side in this. On the right side in this and on the right side of other things, he opposed lynching. Yeah. But he just believed that we did it because, you know, Negroes need more time to be cultivated. I don't know exactly what any of that means. I don't know. And I'm not sure that, that he's... means they're not hothouse flowers. What right. The... I'm not sure what he... Uh, why he felt this way, other than that it was a part of a worldview that's believed because that exceptional... Because white supremacy runs right. thick and deep, Exceptional yes. people should be in charge of boobs, as he called common people. Oh, God, okay. Um, yeah, he'll be of the group that thinks dumb people or people with low IQ should be sterilized. It's that kind of thinking. It's that eugenics fun. Fun with eugenics. Everybody, we love it. But yeah, it's he created a lot of his own the sort of self hatred that he's bragging about, and I think that that Gene Kelly does a very good job, which is he's that, very likable through this right. whole thing. 
And at the very end, there's a great moment where he speaks to, um, he speaks to Spencer Tracy. Drummond. And they have a, you're right, they have an exchange where he's going on about, he's mocking the man who just died. Yeah. And he's very cynical about it. And, uh, he has a really great cynical speech, you know. Human beings first saw the stars and reached up to them to see if there was something to eat. I mean, that's yeah. the level of his thinking, and that was a really great way to describe his character. He doesn't think that at any point we were ever dazzled or we looked for meaning outside of ourselves. This was just our endless slog, and we'll continue to endlessly slog, and then we die. Yeah. And so his, uh, um, he's really confronted by Drummond, yeah. who, um, who tells him, like, yeah, who's going to mourn you when you're gone? Yep. And he said, well, you will, because you're the kind of person. So that exchange is really neat. It, well, I'm it, probably going to die before you do, just FYI. I'm very much older than you. Right. <laughs> but there, it, it's... Uh, it, it, yeah, you're the kind of sap who cares when people right. die. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so the... the thing, uh, okay, I'll take it. Social justice warrior, another title I'll take. Like, what right. are you even talking about? The film ends with our... our hero, taking the Bible and the origin of the species and weighing them both with both hands and putting them both into his briefcase, uh, briefcase yeah. and then walking off stage, which I thought was very stagey, but made the point the film was trying to make. Um, Por que no los <clears throat> Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was a... So, what did you feel overall seeing? I, I really liked it. Do you feel it. it over-informed? Because we've been doing so much of this lately. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean... I mean, I want arguments to be made that weren't made. But, of mm -hmm. course, if you're doing a dramatization of a thing that actually happened and those arguments weren't made. Because my, my first argument is this is a clear problem with the division of church and state. Right. If this is a publicly funded school, that means it's state. Right. The end. I, I, I don't know. Case closed? I don't, like... I, that so that is where my sort of brain comes to, but I do like the he gets Bryant on the stand or mm -hmm. or, or um, Brady on the stand, and he's like, "How long is a day?" Right. And he does the thing that we did the the whole thing where we were like, "Well, if there was no night and day." And oh, they reference Usher's timeline yes, in this film. They, and they do reference Usher's, like explicitly reference, reference Usher and how he was a great theologian and a great mm -hmm. man and how it came down to this exact time on this exact day. But once again, as we've discussed, what is, what is, a day to, what is one day to God? There's no indication that it couldn't be a, a year... A million right. years, a billion years. I think we're looking at this also, we're looking at it in the context of modern people. And the story has been adapted to represent the playwright's feelings about McCarthyism. Right. And that was the background that this film is introduced into. Right. So it represents sort of ign ignorance and bigotry, the burnings and effigy, the, those public things. Yes, yeah, there were burnings and effigy, actual burnings and effigy right. in this movie. Um, both Drummond and the teacher, I right. believe. Yeah. And that didn't happen in actual life. Okay. So it's sort of making No, because they were trying to keep it a little more right. of a, like a carnival oh, feeling. there was radio in the courtroom. There was all sorts yeah. of things. It was entertainment. One of the other things that we have to realize is that 
about a little more than 50 years had passed since Darwin had published The Origin of the Species. Right. So this was not the idea that it's anchored that we're anchored with now. This was still, and thinking of this is before the kind of mass dissemination of information we get in the this internet. This would age. be so now to when so 1970, mm-hmm. a book published in 1970. Right. Dianetics. <laughs> That's a weird example, but. I'm just trying um, to think of a book yeah. that was published around then. Yeah, so so the, the to- because we're not given an exact time. This takes place in the 1920s, uh, and if we're starting from 1920, it would be 61 years. Um, given the fact that scientific information disseminates through a scientific community, it's peer-reviewed. Right. It's well, contradicted by people. Well, the book was published uh-huh. in the 1880s, right? It was, uh, 1859 is the oh, publication. Oh, 1859. Date. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it had already gone through, I mean... Right, but it's and still, scientific rigor was not then what it is no. now. But it was still a relatively new idea, for sure. And so one thing that we can't dismiss is the fact that these people are now coming up with this very strange idea that not only refuted their beliefs in the Bible, refuted all of their beliefs. Right. So um, Darrow's, uh, rather Darrow and um, his counterpart, had a really good idea of their first defense is there's no actual conflict between these two ideas, sets right. of ideas. Right. Um, now, he wasn't able to present that. And My sort of sense into a mess. is, and I would be curious to look up the Butler Act in Tennessee and whether mm-hmm. it was overturned based on state versus religion, the, the separation between church and state. Uh, because, like I said, that is what my brain keeps going back to. Right. Because that's uh, in the Constitution. Uh, that's not a new amendment or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's There's no... I, I felt like the, the film... The movie's really good. The movie's very good. Um, um, I love a courtroom drama, though. Right. So, you know, it's it's just... That's the kind of thing I like. Um, but if you want to listen to some fire and brimstone preaching... Right. I got some. I know where to get it. I felt like the film was really... At times does a disservice to the actual people from the real trial. Because it's turned so much into this sort of... It's creating a trial that people remember in their mind. It's been remade several times now. And it seems like every time there's sort of an issue with intellectual freedom, there's another remake of this film. Um, or another staging of the play. Right. Um, to try to bring back this issue. And it seems... Where's my... Oh, it's going to... It's a bed, probably. It seems very much... And I have to say this as a person who is a film student and loves movies, that my only complaint really is that there's a sort of a Hollywood soapbox with ideas that they're willing to support. And at the same time, never confronting the kind of rampant misogyny. Um, Well, because the soapbox is being held by men. Misogyny and sexism. And Mm -hmm. so... It seemed at times that that the um, the Hollywood community is producing films that really sort of pat yourself on the back. It's like, do you realize all the other things that you've been doing? Yeah, no, I mean, right. yes, and that this is film absolutely. Kind of feels that way sometimes, especially because it's slanted so far in one direction. You know, we can almost agree with Hornbeck that all the town are full of boobs and ignoramuses. That they're all kind of dense. Yeah, they're... and they're shown that way. I right. mean, the ones that. We see some jurors getting voidiered. Right. And, you know, 
they're asked simple questions and they take it as though they have a third grade education and don't right. understand what you're really asking them. Yeah. Uh, and it's possible that he does only have a third grade education and he doesn't understand what you're asking him. But you didn't. He's the only, you know, jury member that we see, uh-huh. and he's the only town person that we see other than our main characters. And well, he is clearly not the brightest bulb. We occasionally get visits or like ancillary characters. The jailer. Yes. Who likes to play cards. Yeah. Uh, um, our teacher is not locked up except when somebody might be coming by the right. jail to visit. He's typically, yeah, out in the main area playing cards because he is a school teacher. Right. Who is known by the whole community. And there's also the father of the child who, um, who died and yeah. unfortunately was condemned to hell. He is another sympathetic character, and there could have been so much more with how powerful his statement. And of course, again, this is not something that actually happened. Right. But his willingness right. to put up his farm to defend this. And there's like. I forgot a, that that was a thing, yes. Right, but it's glossed over so briefly. It seems like any opportunity to make any of the townspeople seem like sort of rational, non bigoted human beings is sort of passed over in favor of presenting a kind of idea. Um. Uh, uh, about the nobility of the, you know, this defense. I, I and again, in in criticizing Hollywood, I'll say a community produces a movie like Birth of a Nation. No, thank you. And which is a hideous piece of filmmaking. I have never seen it, and Sorry. I am never going to. Um, and then D. W. Griffith, who. Technically, is a great filmmaker. He's sure. the person I'd never want to meet. And a horrible life. racist. Horrible racist. About the film is about the birth of the Klan and how necessary it was. And then, actually, after he makes that film, it was very financially successful and lauded by presidents and people. Um, he then makes a movie called Intolerance. Yeah. Based on what he felt was the intolerance he experienced making his innocent film about the Klan. Mm, yep. And that just speaks to a level of privilege. Well, that, yeah, and and the victimization that right. that these groups do to themselves and right, these men exactly. do to themselves, which the fundamentalists now mm. do as well. They are always the victim of right. everything, even though they are. The You're, majority, and it's, it's and and they have every privilege mm-hmm. that our society affords people based on certain aspects. Right, but they are the victim. Well, it's kind of there's um, a growing number of nuns, n o n e s, in when people are asked about their religious belief, and for the first time, mm-hmm. we're in a state where people are claiming to have. No church as opposed to any church. Right. And it's an increasing number of people. There's more people who claim that than, than claim a, 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 um, a faith system. Because people are tired of walking into a place on Sunday that has explicitly said that they are not right. welcome. And so I think that... And I can't blame them for it. <laughs> as a person of faith, it worries me. Yeah. Because there, it's then without some kind of, and it sounds really weird, without a belief system that encourages you to do the best, you're going to believe anything. And we're, we're you, really... You, that's not true <clears throat> of everyone. Right. It's not true of everyone, but it certainly is something that we can see happening now. Yes. We have people easily swallowing the most heinous and 
obvious lies. Yes, but a lot of those people also go to church on right. Sunday. And they're listening to this from a pulpit on Sunday. Yes. So the reason why the church attendance is shrinking is not because there's a, a liberal bias in the media or not because of liberal ideas. Um, it's because what they're being presented in the church is such a failure compared to what Jesus Christ has taught. It's. I think it's, it also comes mm-hmm. down to one of the great strengths of having a spiritual community. In my mind, a person mm-hmm. who has never been part of a spiritual right. community is the community part. Right. And if your spiritual community is condemning you, that then you lose maybe right. the part that would get you to stay. And right? not just condemning you, condemning other people, your friends, yeah. your parents. Your friends, your, right. your parents, your, your significant other, your right. children. Exactly. That's not... If, it, if I'm not welcome... I'm not going to go. Right, because it's a, being part of a faith community, committed to one, is and, a, and, a requirement and if you of your are, time and effort. And if you have that faith uh-huh. and you've been either explicitly excommunicated mm-hmm. or what I consider like a soft excommunication, right. which is like, I mean, we love you, but we hate you. I mean, who you are and what you are, that's... Then to open yourself up to another community of faith is very frightening. Very frightening. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the things that I also respected about this film, although, like I said, I was sort of put off by the kind of preachiness coming from a group of people, you know, it's like, yeah. no, I know what this, this environment's like. Um, one of the things I did respect was that Henry Drummond mm-hmm. is able to say his agnostics creed, I don't know. Yeah. Which is actually, and I've said this before, if you don't have a faith system, that is, that's, I don't know. Yeah. That's the most logical choice. I cannot say if something exists or right. nothing exists. Yeah. I and can that's say where that. I've always lived. I right. don't know. That makes sense to me. This makes sense to me. Yeah. These other the pieces of this other thing make sense to me. Yeah. But to me, it was interesting watching a person defend their right to say, I don't know. Yeah. I know that it's not this. I know that it's not condemning children to hell. Yes. Yeah. I know that that, that I, know, I can say with I, I know what high certainty. I know what it isn't. Yeah. Yes. The question is what is it's, it? It's with like that, like what pornography, right? right? I don't know what it is, but or I, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Right. Well, then <laughs> it's in your head. And so therefore it's, you know, it's coming from you. So the problem isn't the pornography. The problem is you. I'm not yeah. saying there isn't a problem Right. Yeah, I didn't mean to. Yeah, no, I understand. It's derail just, it, but it's that. It's that same thing. Ex- there are things that right. I can say with certainty that make sense, and there are things that I can say with certainty that absolutely don't make sense. And there are enough people in the heads of, as the heads of faith communities, that mm-hmm. say both types of things with equal weight. Right. That I can't be involved in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that um, I think that, and I'm really glad that we got to see it because I think it puts an interesting sort of spin yeah. on the conversations that we've had, and seeing how it um, something that was seminal to people continuing this argument. Yeah. Uh, how basically it was fabricated and it's a drama. Yeah. And it shouldn't be taken as a literal truth. Yeah. But again, it's much easier to accept a well-presented drama than this. Yeah. Uh, what actually happened. I, I think that what we'll be exploring in the future, and I put this up on the website, 
is that we're going to continue with this theme and we're going to return to our other subjects that we do, but also spend some time exploring, finally, um, St. Paul. Uh, because I've been putting nemesis. that off for an extent because um, really I recently had a trip where I spent a lot of the time on the way back from the trip discussing with a good friend Christianity as they didn't understand it. It's like right. somebody who did not ever go to church. Right. Except for holidays maybe. and um, But who's still a good moral person. Yes, and because then, I will also say I don't feel the need to go to church every Sunday and right. Um, and list my shortcomings right. in order to make good decisions and moral choices in my life. That is not a thing that I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, I worry for people who who think that if you don't go to church, and or without feeling like God is going to punish you for everything that you do wrong, right. you will only do wrong. That's a scary view of humanity, and if that's what humanity is, then we're all going to go to hell anyway. Okay, so I'll tell you briefly a story <laughs> that Jesus told that infuriates people. Okay. But Jesus infuriates people. Yeah, he does. That's, that's part of the Get him, Jesus. Get him. There's a man who needs laborers to work in his field, and he hires some at the beginning of the day to work, and midday they discover they don't have enough. So he asks his recruiters to go find anyone possible uh, to come and help. And they come like and help. Like they've only got till the end of the day right. before whatever's going to happen. And then, happen. so they do. Locus they finish it. And he pays everyone the same wage. And that comes into the thing, well, well I've been working all day. And he's been working half a day. Why yeah. do we get the same wage? And the person who owns the field says, it's mine to give. And that was something that always had, like, that divides a lot of people in conversation. But his point was, you're going to have people like the prodigal son's brother. Yeah. Who did the good thing their whole life. Yeah. Who never made a misstep. Yep. And then you have somebody like the prodigal themselves. Yes. Who has a really bad turn and is able to come back. And grace is given to both of those people. Right. The right. father shows love for both children because it's his love to give. Right. He's not as strange as it sounds right. like, you know. There's he, also economic reasons. I'm right. like, because they came here on short notice when right. I, my demand went way up, which means my compensation for that would go up. Like, right, but there's that too. But also <laughs> the notion of, oh no, because somebody always has a head start on you. Right? Yeah. No, and, it's true. And so somebody is really good looking or has a skin color that's more acceptable, so they get jobs, they get promotions. Right. We see people fail up all the time. All the time. And so they're given every single chance to succeed, and they succeed sometimes. Yep. And there are other people who don't get a chance, who are looked down upon, who yeah. ha- are physically not as attractive by a, a beauty standard that shouldn't be, you know, why we have things like this. Yeah. Or a person who's handicapped, or a per- but that person gets to get the gift too because the person who's giving it is giving it to everyone. Yeah. And so. Um, and and it's first of all, yeah, it's none of your business what any of these other right. people get. I didn't take from your pocket. Right. Exactly. I am not taking from you to give to them. Right. It is mine to give, and I give you this much, and I give them this much. And if I only had you here, I would give you. The amount that I gave you, that is what I have chosen to give. And that is the the reason why, even as an adult, giving a choice of belief systems, the idea that 
there's always a chance for you is what appeals to me about Christianity. You always get that chance. It doesn't mean that you're going to have it easy. You'll have it harder in, in some ways, but you get the chance because God only knows that we're not all born with the same advantages. No, yeah, no. But, um, yeah, but anyhow, level field we'll, be, we'll be discussing St. Paul coming Ooh, up soon. I got a punch it. Yeah, if, if Mencken made you upset, St. Paul will make you upset. But the importance is, now that we have sort of an idea of what Jesus was teaching, you'll be able to see the difference between these two and why one is more popular because he says things that people want to hear. Gotcha. Women should need to be quiet in church. You know, those gay people, you have to watch out for them. One guy. Nobody else said this. But anyhow, we'll get okay. into that next time. Okay. So it brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you like it, please subscribe and leave us a review. Share it with a friend. You have friends. You have lots of friends. We have an internet home, withoutworkspodcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories that we talk about can be found there. We're also reachable at withoutworkspodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at withoutworkspod, and on Facebook at withoutworkspodcast. All that information is on the website as well. So go there, have a look around. Click again, on all the links. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. I've been Lemuel. She's been Amity, the heavenly host. And we urge you to... Get vaccinated and do something good. Right. Don't forget your mask, though. We're not quite past it yet. Everybody's